Okay, well, we are in the second part of our serve campaign, which is about all the ways that we serve others. And we've talked about uh, two different groups so far. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about serving those who serve. And today, we're talking, uh, and last week, we talked about serving our first ministry, our family, those closest to us. Today, we're going to talk about perhaps the most difficult area of service for any of us, uh, serving beyond our comfort. And our passage today is taken uh, from the most famous sermon Jesus ever gave. Jesus had just healed a bunch of people, and now a multitude had followed him. Uh, in fact, Matthew 4 says it was a great multitudes. And so Jesus went up into a mountain so that he could talk to them uh, all at the same time, uh, which is why the sermon is usually called the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're headed to Matthew chapter 5 today, to the section of the sermon uh, at the very end of Matthew chapter 5. And I hope that you will uh, be able to look at it, either turn your app on right now or open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> and I saw a, a study this week that if you have millennials uh, or I don't, what's Gen Xers? What's the one after millennials? Gen Z. If you have Gen Z people at church that you're not supposed to tell them to open their Bibles anymore, now you're supposed to tell them to turn their Bibles on, okay, because it's on a device. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying all the different things. Make sure we cover all the different bases. Yeah, but we're in Matthew chapter 5 this morning, verse number 38. You've heard that it's been said... An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. But whosoever will smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away." You have heard that it had been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And so Christians are called to live out the Father's love. Now we're called to do this uh, to some very unique groups of people. We are called to live out the Father's love to people who misunderstand us, to people who abuse us, to people who expect impossible things from us, and even to people who hate us. And so, yeah, this message is appropriately entitled, Serving Beyond Our Comfort, because none of the aforementioned items is comfortable. Uh, Peter pointed this out uh, in his epistle when he said that uncomfortable service is what following Jesus 
uh, boils down to. And uh, he, he said it this way in 1 Peter 2. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. And then Peter went on in chapter 4, and he's talking to these people who are currently serving beyond their comfort. They are being abused at every turn. Uh, they lived in the Roman Empire, and they're being exiled because of their beliefs. And he says to them, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. He says, but rejoice. You heard it right. Rejoice inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. So Peter says, listen, here's the recipe for happiness. Being reproached for the name of Christ. Most people don't think of this as the recipe for happiness, right? I don't know that anybody ever thinks, you know what? The recipe for happiness is being reproached for the name of Christ. No, we're like, it's skydiving or Rocky Mountain climbing or 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. But it's certainly not being reproached for the name of Christ. I mean, it's not having people hate you. Because when people hate you, from my experience, it's not really that fun. Right? And yet, Peter says, hey, this is where the joy is. So today, we're trying to investigate what that is, being reproached for Christ, how it actually can get you into the best place that God would have you to be. And so Jesus gives us this model, serving beyond our comfort. Jesus lives out the model, serving beyond comfort. Peter confirms that this is indeed the type of service that God has planned for his children. And then you go all through the scriptures, and you find people who lived in discomfort. In fact, let me give you a challenge this morning. Uh, you can start right now. Go all through the scriptures. And I want you to look for the people of faith who served God in comfort, okay? And when you find one, just raise your hand right during the message, and I'll ask you who it is. Actually, don't do it. It's not even worth it. There aren't any. All the people of faith served in discomfort. They were all uncomfortable. You read Hebrews 11 sometime and find out how uncomfortable they were. And, and so we see these dynamics that Jesus is going to give us now in his famous sermon. So we're in Matthew 5, and we got four dynamics there in our notes. Uh, if you want to follow along, it's in your bulletin, or it's on the YouVersion app. And we start uh, with this dynamic, tit for tat on this and that. Okay, tit for tat on this and that. Now, human nature... And the law strangely agree on the basic premise of retribution. Uh, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, uh, you hit me and I'll hit you back. You come at me with an insult, I'll give it right back. This was before Twitter or Trump either were on the scene. Uh, human nature and Old Testament law 
say that you are in your rights to punish someone with the action they took towards you. Now, the Ten Commandments are given in Exodus 20. Exodus 21, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe, life for life. Okay, so, so this is how it went. Uh, you come to the, the judge in the Old Testament, and you say, look right here. This guy hit me with a stick on purpose, and I look across my leg, man. It's horrible. And I've even got a witness. And so the judge says, okay, we'll bring him in. Get the stick. And they give him the same mark he gave you. That's how it worked. It's retribution. Now, this has been the, the law of the jungle, the law of humanity, the Old Testament law. You call it whatever you want to call it. Jesus tells the multitudes from his place on the mountain, uh, hey, folks, uh, I know you've always heard about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And there's this murmuring out in the crowd. They're like, that's right, preacher, give it to them. Give people what they deserve. And uh, then they all heard something they didn't expect. He says, but uh, I say unto you that you resist not evil. Whoever hits you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And the crowd's like, what? What's he saying? And Jesus goes on to explain there's a new ethic. It comes from his gospel where you allow yourself to be mistreated by other people. Now, this is not the same. Don't confuse this. It's not the same as people who hurt themselves for religious purposes. Okay, Jesus never advocated for that. But he is saying, if somebody sues you in court for your coat, give them your cloak too. And it doesn't even matter whether the case is valid or totally bogus. If a soldier compels you to go mile with him and carry his bags while he delivers a royal message, you willingly go an extra mile. And in just a few verses, Jesus undoes thousands of years of the law of retribution. And he shows his followers that it is better to do right than it is to be right. Immature people want to be right, and mature people want to do right. And uh, there are immature people of every age. Right? who fall in the trap of wanting to be right. Jesus says his children are called to do right. And it, you can just bet there were some people in the crowd that day that had some pressing questions. They may have even been like, hey, hold on, wait a second. Jesus, what if the other person's wrong? Uh, what if the soldier mistreats me? What if my neighbor sues me frivolously? Uh, I'm supposed to allow people to do evil to me? I just take it? You want me just to turn the other cheek? If somebody asks me for help, I'm just supposed to help them? But what about history? What about track record? What about them paying me back for the help? I'm supposed to loan my screwdriver to a guy who never returned my hammer? Right? I I'm supposed to help people who stabbed me in the back. Jesus, this is just getting started. This is just the introduction to serving beyond our comfort. 
This is before Jesus told his disciples the hard stuff about following God. The whole take up your cross and follow me thing, which some of them literally did and died by crucifixion. And and so we have uh, this one model, this tit-for-tat model, and Jesus says, we're going to move away from that, and uh, that's uh, the old model, and here's the new model, and then he gives them another part of this dynamic. And so this is the next part of the dy- this next dynamic. So much hate, don't take the bait. All right? So much hate, don't take the bait. Now, if you go back to the Levitical law, uh, the Levitical law had instructed Jews to love their neighbors and not bear grudges against them. Okay? So you're supposed to uh, help your neighbor, don't hold a grudge against your neighbor, But there was also an out for how you have to treat enemies. Okay, so so you could wiggle out of this if somebody became your enemy. And now Jesus shows up and says, we're switching things up, everybody. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. And once again, there's like a grumble that goes through the crowd. It's like, does he know like where he's at? Does he know where we live? We are Jews living under Roman oppression. We are Jews who experience hatred just for our ethnicity. And if they experienced hatred that went back thousands of years to ancestors they'd only heard of. And uh, this all leads us to this topic of hatred in general. Because sometimes people ask, well, why does he hate me so much? And ironically enough, he may not even know. Right? There are people across the world who are born into hatred for certain certain groups, certain tribes, certain nations. Kids who are six or seven years old who already hate because that's what they've been programmed to do. But the source of animosity is a human condition called sin, and it flows through many different streams. Uh, For Cain, it was the stream of jealousy. His brother was blessed by God, and he wasn't. Uh, For Pharaoh, it was the stream of lust for control. Uh, For Hitler, uh, it was a lust for genetic supremacy, utter hatred for the Jews, Uh, For uh, different groups in modern society, maybe like the abortion lobby, it's about control of the living at the expense of the unborn. But there may have been a stream that flowed through your upbringing as well. Uh, I know that it's hard because we all have ancestors uh, who have hated things, right? They have hated things. different classes, different groups. Uh, They've hated people with different jobs. Uh, And it goes back in their history. And and so racism, intolerance, uh, bigotry, prejudice against this people or that people, this group, that group. And even though we all sang red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in his sight in Sunday school, uh, the application of that rhyme was nowhere close to considering all people as equally precious in God's sight. And uh, it could be that 
you came from a family where they were just crass or rude or even bigoted about certain things. Uh, my mom's dad uh, was from Idaho. He was actually was born in Peekaboo. Anybody ever been to Peekaboo? He's just where Peekaboo Street's from. Um, he was born in Peekaboo, Idaho. And he lived in Boise his whole life. And he was a rough old-timer. He was in World War II. He was a tail gunner in a B-26. And, and so by the time I came around, uh, he was in his late 40s. And, and I learned very early on some ways to be crass and rude from my grandfather. Uh, some ways that may have even gone to the point of bigotry and prejudice. And it's still, to this day, uh, I'm almost 48 years old, and my wife will once, once in a while nudge me and say, you're acting like Grandpa Bertram. <laughs> like, no, not me. I don't act like that. Uh, he's been uh, in heaven for 22 years, and there's no way I'm still acting like that now, all these years later. Uh, but you may have been accused of acting like your parent before, or your grandparent or your great-grandparent. And maybe they weren't always uh, so kind and generous. And uh, most of the people who hate you don't even really know why they hate you. Uh, for starters, some of them hate themselves. And so they can't possibly love anybody else. Some of them hate your vocation. Uh, if you work for the government, there are people who hate you just because of where you work. Right? Uh, there are other groups of people. Uh, some people hate truck drivers because a truck cut them off once. Right? Sorry, Luke. <laughs> not, not against you. It's just some people do. Uh, some people who, they hate people who drive Mini Coopers um, because a Mini Cooper cut in front of them once. Absurd to even think that that would happen. But uh, it wasn't me, by the way. As some of people, they hate you uh, because of a resentment that was passed down from their ancestors. Some people hate you because of your belief system. It's not even really about you. It's about what you believe. Some of them hate you because of your hat. Some of them hate you because of your jersey uh, or your status online or your university or whatever grievance they have in this victim culture era. Now, this is rare, but some people even hate you because you actually did something to them, right? <laughs> they hate you because of something actually legit. Here's the deal, though. No matter why they hate you, you don't have to hate them back, okay? This is the whole model Jesus gives us. No matter why they hate you, you don't have to hate them back. You don't have to respond in like manner. Don't take the bait. Sometimes hatred drives people to, to challenge you into a proverbial mud fight. But for the mud fight to happen, you have to lower yourself to their level. And, and this, we, we've had this our whole life. Uh, really? Uh, from the time you were a tiny little kid, uh, the kid in the baby nursery bit you, right? So what did you do? You bit him back. And your mommy and daddy taught you that if somebody bites you, you bite them back harder. 
right? Probably, maybe that's what they taught you. I don't know. <laughs> maybe they taught you, you don't have to bite them back. I don't know. Uh, but I do know there's lots of kids who were small in elementary school. And actually, uh, when I was in kindergarten, I was, I was kind of big. Um, but I stayed that same size all the way until sixth grade. So then it just kind of, you know, well, it didn't work out well. And um, so when I was in fifth grade, I wrestled uh, Greco-Roman wrestling at 58 pounds. And I was wrestling first and second graders in the tournaments, which is a little absurd. And they were still winning some of the matches. So um, you don't have to record that part, Colby. Just leave that one off. And, um, but, but what happens is, is people teach you, especially if you're small, right? And your dad's tough or your dad was trying to help you or grandpa or your uncle. Like, now boy, if somebody bullies you or somebody hits you, you just smack them one, right? You just smack them a good one, right? And the kisser and, and they'll leave you alone. And if that girl does this, you do that. And all these helpful people are teaching us things that are completely against the ethic Jesus gave us. But we're taught this our whole lives, and we think, oh, I've got to return. It's the law of retribution. And, and Jesus says, listen, here's why it's so valuable that you have to know this. Because if your brother hitting you was so horrible then you hitting him back has to be just as horrible. And if her throwing mud at you on Facebook is a trespass, then you throwing it back has to be a trespass too. And, and so Jesus says there's a new way to treat people who hate you. Don't take the bait of hating them back because, and this is profound, because hatred doesn't even hurt them. It hurts you. Bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping it kills your enemy. And, and so Jesus said, listen, it's okay to be, be mistreated. It's okay to be misunderstood. Pray for the people who hate you, uh, even if neither one of you knows why they even hate you. Now, folks, we've gotten this far. Can I just ask you a question in reality? Are we talking about comfortable territory here? Uh, this is uncomfortable. This is extremely uncomfortable. Uh, because this is not what we picture Christianity to be. Right? Uh, when we come into Christianity, you know what we picture it to be? Everybody's going to like us. Right? Everything's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm going to be blessed and joyful, and every day I'm going to be happy. And I have the best Christian friends, and we're going to go out and have coffee every morning and do a scripture walk. And we're going to go pray for neighborhoods together. And everybody's going to like me because I'm one of Jesus' children, and everybody like Jesus. And nobody ever reads to people the end of the Gospels. Right? They read the first part where Jesus is healing people and everybody loves him and the multitudes are following him. And they don't ever get to the end of the book. He gets killed. Right? They actually put nails in his hands and his feet. And if you're going to be like Jesus, can I just go ahead and tell you up front, it ain't easy. 
And so here, here's this model, this dynamic that he's given us. Now let's talk about this third dynamic. Good for thee, but not for me. Good for thee, but not for me. Uh, so we've already kind of hit this. People who despitefully use us may not even know why they do. And any time in life that you run across something that is unreasonable or biased or inconsistent, you are reminded that with human expectations, there is always a mystery to be solved. And we could spend years of our lives trying to figure out why certain people don't like each other, why certain groups uh, have double standards, why, why certain people can see out windows at other people's faults but can't see in mirrors at their own, uh, why they can see the speck in your eye at 100 yards away but they can't see the log coming out of their own eye. Now, Jesus talks about this later in the same sermon. And, and so Jesus is trying to help us here. He, he says, listen, we don't have to spend any time discovering why people's expectations are biased or unreasonable. Because we already know why. We're members of the human race. And we all have these problems. And so we are free, because we're part of God's family, we're free to live according to his expectations. And uh, look, I get it. it. It can be really frustrating to decode other people's motives. Uh, in fact, it's probably impossible. And it's also frustrating when people judge our motives inaccurately. Because don't they know my motives are pure? My motives are right. How dare you question my motives? That's okay if I question yours, but don't question mine. And, and so instead of getting frustrated, instead of beating your head against the wall, instead of dwelling on it, instead of talking in circles a hundred times about the same subject or the same biased behavior. Now, if you get it, don't get anything else. Get this part of the message. Be an equal opportunity blesser. Okay? Be an equal opportunity blesser. Now, that's what God is. We read this. He makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust, all the while not putting a sign overheads to tell us who's just and who's unjust. And this model is given to us so that we can bless everybody without having to predetermine if they're truly qualified to receive our immense goodness. You know, trying to screen every candidate that you minister to would be so fatiguing that you could never minister. And so here's the advice Jesus gives. Don't screen anybody. Just bless people. Even if you expect them to spit on you later. Be kind to them even if they never say thank you. Uh, you can imagine there were a bunch of people in the multitude. They were, they're just like, Jesus, how's this going to work? And you don't want me to read people's resumes before I help them? 
And there's some Pharisees out in the multitude. They're just like, Jesus, what if we accidentally help a sinner? <laughs> what if we help somebody who has faults? And Jesus let him know, uh, yeah, that'd be just like God when he helps you. Because how many people actually deserve God's blessings? How many people deserve God's goodness? And yet, after we become a Christian for a long enough time, some people fall into this trap of thinking that, boy, we've gotten to the stage where we sort of deserve God's goodness. And we need to be reminded often that we don't deserve God's blessings. We don't deserve God's goodness. And so these expectations for God's family can offer us so much freedom in ministry. We don't have to evaluate. We can just serve. We don't have to look around and judge this or that. We can just serve. And that brings us to this fourth dynamic. Don't be mad just pleasing dad. Don't be mad just pleasing dad. Jesus says, hey, this is the only way to really act like children of God. He said, be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, the word perfect here is not sinless perfection. It means that we grow into full maturity. We become like God in our thought processes. We become like God in these dynamics. We become like God in the ethic of love. And children of God don't live by the law of retribution. We don't live by the law of retaliation. And it's only through the grace and power of our Savior that we don't. It's only through Jesus that we're able to rise above the human code of retribution. Because that is definitely the human code. It's around us everywhere. It's in every workplace. It's in every school. It's in every country. It's in every government. There's this thing of retribution. It's the human model of everything. Jesus, now he says to his children, don't take the bait from the haters. Don't worry about the expectations before you offer blessings. Just please the Father. And please the Father in the uncomfort zone until the uncomfort zone becomes the norm. And that's when you reach full maturity. Serving beyond our comfort is the calling card of Christian love. It is. It's the calling card of Christian love. It is the most practical enticement to Christianity. And people you know who are not believers, they're like, I'm not sure about all their ideas. I'm not sure about this part of their church. I'm not sure about what they do on this. But look at how they love. Look at how they treat people. Now, that's supposed to be the message, this practical enticement to come to Jesus Christ. When people see how Christians love, they're willing to put their faith in the God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, Jesus, uh, because he, he's such a, a, a good uh, 
preacher and a good truth teller and good at everything, he brings up another invasive topic that hits us right where we live. And uh, this is down further in the passage. He says, listen, if you love people who love you back, what reward should you get from that? Right? That's what all people do. If you're only friendly to people who are friendly to you, you can't really label that as friendly. By the way, that's what most people who are friendly at church do. Uh, they say hi to all the people they already know every week, and that makes them friendly. Uh, because it's comfortable to say hi to the people you already know. It's not as comfortable to meet new people. And, and so he's talking here. He says, listen, reciprocal love, reciprocal friendship, that's not the ethic in God's family. Uh, our ethic is love that is not returned. Uh, our ethic is friendship to those who are not friends. But it's even more than that. Our ethic is to love those who hate and to befriend those who are unfriendly. Now, that's a pretty high ethic. That's as high as it gets. And it's so weird because when you commit to growing in Christ and you commit to serving beyond your comfort, your comfort will almost immediately be challenged. Almost immediately. You commit to it on Sunday. You're like, Jesus, I really want to live out this ethic. I want to love people in the uncomfort zone. I want to be what you've called me to be in your love. And all of a sudden, boom, that week, it's like it's open season on your faith. Your faith is immediately challenged. And there are all sorts of people who are willing to see if you really don't seek retribution anymore. Or if that's just a religious scam. There's always somebody you know uh, who's willing to help you test out the turn the other cheek thing. They're like, come here. Let me check it out. Boom. <laughs> let's see. Okay, let's see. What are you going to do now? And your face turns red and your fists ball up. And, you're like, and then you, okay. <laughs> I don't know if you do that or not. And it's so unique because when we commit to this, there's only one way to prove if it's true. And that's to live with people in uncomfort. And there are a lot of people who are willing to test the commitment out. But it's not just people. God allows you to experience what loving your enemies is all about by allowing you to have enemies. That's the only way. <laughs> Isn't that weird? God says, listen, here, here's the ethic. Jesus, love your enemies. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Like, okay, I mean, if I have to do that, Jesus, to be like you, I mean, I'll do that. It's God like, God's like, okay, here you go. <laughs> and you have things that you've never had before. And it shocks us because we do live in this American Christian bubble where we feel like every Christian uh, should feel this way and do this. And, and uh, you may be the type of person who's never had an enemy before. And Peter says, think it not strange. Think it not strange. Because the only way to serve God 
is to serve beyond our comfort. It's the only way. And that leads us to our faith challenge. And it's a question. And I'm not going to tell you the answer. I want you to ponder on it, think of it for yourself. Here's the question. If you will only serve where it's comfortable, are you really serving God? So Jesus says, listen, if you love people who love you back, everybody does that. If you're a friend of people who are your friend, everybody does that. And and so if you'll only serve where it's comfortable, are you really serving God? Now, it's not supposed to be a riddle, okay? It's not if a tree falls in the forest type thing. This is a legit question. And, And here's where we're at in 2020. This goes to the heart of modern Americanized Christianity, where we've got a whole bunch of prosperity preachers who are telling us that we'll have our best lives now. We shouldn't really have to face adversity. Uh, If you're a Christian, you should have the best job and the best house and whatever you dream of, and everybody always love you, and yet we find this philosophy exactly nowhere in God's Word. It's not there. Jesus never said, if you follow me, everybody's going to like you. He said the exact opposite. He said, they will hate you for my sake. Right? Pretty, pretty plain truth. This is not a riddle. It's not a mystery. It's not an enigma. In fact, Paul told Timothy, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. By which he meant that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's a given in the scripture. Now, here's the paradox. Serving beyond our comfort is where we find the most fulfilling joy. We brought that up at the beginning. Peter says, listen, don't don't be worried about this. Don't think it's strange. Fiery trials are going to come. But that's where the joy is at. That's where the fulfillment's at. That's when you really know you're on the team Jesus. That's when you really know that you're experiencing what Jesus experienced. Jesus, if you look at his life, it just wasn't really like the cushy life. Right? He didn't have a massage chair. Unless you count laying on the ground with your head on the pillow of a stone. Yeah, it doesn't sound very comfortable. He didn't need a whole lot of filet mignon. Okay? Yeah, he, he just basic, never traveled more than 100 miles from where he was born. He wore these robes that I don't think any guy would want to wear today, probably. Maybe like in Scotland or somewhere. He, he wasn't in the life of comfort and, and yet, we're told by so many people that, man, if you'll just follow Jesus and you'll just act like Jesus did and you'll be kind to people, everybody's going to like you. Right? And it's unfortunately not true. Now, 
It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be like Jesus and you shouldn't act like Jesus. You should. Just remember that the end result is what Jesus promised, not what the guy on TV promised. And it's right in the middle of the uncomfort zone that joy is experienced at its highest level. So the greatest commitment in life is following the love of Jesus into the situations, into the places of discomfort. Often, ministering to people who don't reciprocate God's love. And so, the question is a fair question. If you'll only serve where it's comfortable, are you really serving God? And I hope it's a question that you take with you through the week. Because when we pray today, I know some of you, the scripture passage has spoken to your heart once again. You've heard it before you're like, Jesus, I'm recommitting to this. Uh, I want to live how you lived. You, you didn't just say this. You know, this was your life. And you're the one uh, who went into a group of Pharisees and told them the truth and then said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, uh, thou that killest the prophets, how often have I uh, sought to gather you as a hen would gather her chicks? How often have I prayed for you? Because he had compassion even on the people who hated him the most. He says on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the Jesus we follow. And when we make these commitments, we should expect to have them challenged. We should expect that we're going to go through some things that shouldn't be strange to us. They shouldn't blow us out of the water, and we shouldn't say, oh, no, my Christianity is not working. I have a problem. We should actually say, oh, yeah, my Christianity is working. I have a problem. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. That's what Christianity is all about. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we could cover this material from your word this morning and be reminded of these powerful words and powerful ethics that you set forth and that you lived out so that we would know how to structure our lives in these days in our time. So I pray that you would help us to make courageous commitments to the Jesus who made a courageous commitment for us. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.